0: My question to all of these people is, do you want a person who continues to suffer from this foot-and-mouth disease in a really kind of blokey and appropriate way, do you want him representing your interests? You know, the comments he made about
1: me and the comments he made about Cynthia are absolutely nothing compared to what he said about Adam Goods, and that's something he's going to have to confront when that documentary comes out.
0: The Australian people and the Australian electorate must be, surely we must be, sophisticated enough to realise that Pauline Hanson and her One Nut Nation Party are playing us for a break. What I've started doing
1: over the summer was I halved the tasty cheese. I did half tasty cheese and half parmigiano reggiano. It becomes an expensive, exotic little biscuit. Well, well you can just even
0: chuck in the packet grated stuff if you want, packet parmesan. I don't think Louisa would approve. Her husband, Nick, is a very keen listener, and this is what he said, I came for Caro, I'm staying for Corey." Oh, you must have loved that. I loved it. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Cory Perkin. Hello,
1: everybody, and welcome to episode 79 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Corrie, we've got another anniversary, 80 coming up next week. Welcome, feeling to feeling older
0: by the minute.
1: Welcome to this week's episode. I'm Caroline Wilson. I've just introduced my dear friend, the bookseller extraordinaire, Corrie Perkin, many other strings to her bow, but that's one of them.
0: Hello, Caro. And just before we came on air, you were you were castigating me because I don't know what super fund I'm in because I have about five. Jane Caro would be horrified. She would be.
1: And you know what, Corrie? One word: consolidate. <laughs> consolidate. You should. If you don't have one, two, I'll two, I'll understand. But five is an embarrassment. Shows if, how many jobs I've had. Just.
0: Yeah, going around the block again with another career. Yes, but
1: We, <laughs> we just have... Anyway, I'm not, I'm not going to go into the details. Look, we've got a very big Hello, show. Hello,
0: everyone. Lots to talk about, Caro.
1: Big show coming up. Eddie Maguire's done it again. We've got some strong views on that. We want to talk about women's footy and that unbelievable, unbelievable event in Adelaide on Sunday. Corrie's got some views about women on boards. She's been fired up after reading Janet Orbrexton's column in The Weekend Australian. Um, I've Got a Crush... Corrie's grumpy, although I'm might, i going to trump your grumpy at some point. I'm grumpy about several things. Mm, I've got the world's most simple and beautiful recipe. We've got a new sporting hero, heroine, and we want to tell you about our Miracle Mum's Breakfast, Corrie. We up? Do you want to open the batting there?
0: Well, we had such success, Caro, as Potties will recall last year when we had our first live podcast in aid of Breast Cancer Network Australia uh, we have decided to do another one, and this time we are doing it for the Royal Women's Hospital's Miracle Mums campaign. On Tuesday, April the thirtieth, at the Melbourne Town Hall, we have a breakfast. So we're, we have to we're get up in early. the main
1: big room, are we, with the organ and everything, <laughs> where I have my speech night every year for school.
0: We could easily get 2,000 people, <laughs> no, Caro, but look, we're just aiming small this time. No, we're not in the big, it's called the town hall, actually, funnily enough. Is the Lord um, Mayor going to be there? Lord Mayor Sally Cap is joining us, wow. uh, and we're going to have a cast of new friends and old friends as well. So just Google Miracle Mums Don't Shoot the Messenger or uh, see the link in our show notes or on the Facebook page. Bring your
1: mum, bring your daughter, bring your son. Word on the street is that Anna from the op shop will be making an appearance.
0: And I hope you're bringing your mum because I think Julia from um, the suburbs is coming in as well. Yes, yes, Julia will be coming in. So you better remember to bring her, Cara. It's
1: The Royal Women's Hospital is obviously a subject close to my heart and Corrie's. We both had children there. We absolutely love it. Um, thank you to my daughter one of my beautiful daughters born at the Royal Women's Hospital who on April Fool's Day put on the family WhatsApp picture of an ultrasound with a baby on it. Yes, we were all briefly horrified, shocked, didn't know what really to think but turns out it was an April Fool's Day That's gag. really
0: mean. That's a You thought you were going gag. to join the Grandmothers Club. <laughs> oh, it was
1: Bad pretty... form. Thanks to Bridget, our great friend from Jock's Ice Cream who sent us an email with a few clarifications on American politics. This by way of it's sort of an apology. Um, Bob Muller's report, in summary we've not had the opportunity to read it over 300 pages, found there was not enough evidence to charge the President but he made it clear that it did not exonerate Trump. Well, I think we said that, Yeah, I think
0: we did say that. Uh, Caro, before you go on, I've got a couple of hellos too, but we need to thank our sponsors, The Interchange Bench. Hello, everyone at The Interchange Bench. And whenever there's a gap in your essential staff team, all you potties out there, fill it with a pro from The Interchange Bench. All professional level roles and all industries and sectors, both short and long term, give them a call. Now, Caro, I've also wanted to send a cheerio to... Shannon and Nick from Geelong, who visited the bookshop on Sunday when I was working, and they were in Melbourne for the weekend celebrating their 10th wedding anniversary. Shannon is the daughter of one of our favorite potties, Doreen Feeney, who, who uh, comments a lot on our Instagram and so on. And although Shannon's not a big listener of the fo- podcast, her husband, Nick, is a very keen listener, and this is what he said, I came for Caro, I'm staying for Corrie. Oh, you must have loved that. I loved that. Corrie should be careful because
1: she um, was mentioned on um, one the one radio segment you probably don't want to be mentioned on, you were mentioned on on Saturday. Miss Jane's laughing because she must know as well.
0: Oh, what? <laughs> have, you
1: ever, have you ever listened to Off the Bench, the show that Craig Hutchison does with Liam Pickering?
0: No, I haven't. They have a
1: segment called The First Person Self-Congratulator of the Week.
0: <laughs> what did I do? Oh, did I you... congratulate myself? You did. You on did. what? On my footy score or no
1: on achieving? Your career basically. Oh, did I? <laughs> and your your pioneering career.
0: Ah, oh, I was it having was, crack at you. It
1: was nice. Well, no, it sort of came out as though you were just pumping yourself up, actually.
0: It was quite <laughs> yeah, well, funny. They, well, they need to put it in context, let me tell you. Uh, look, someone... No, did... no such thing. The soundbite is a soundbite, I'm afraid. Oh, Jane, you'll have to play it at some point. I'm sure you will. Carol have you doing that. <laughs> Corrie Perkin, who I love from, of course, Don't Shoot the Messenger, but I'm sorry, Corrie, this is One Vote. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just remind listeners that I was the first female football writer in Australia and I am a former editor of the Footy Records, so my credentials are pretty good. Oh, credentials just body, body, oh Someone mentioned to me during the week that I have been sounding a bit husky lately and did I have a cold and I'm afraid to say that I probably damaged my vocal cords, possibly irreparably, when Jen, the mother of the bride, and Susie, the mother of the bridesmaid, and myself were singing in the backup. With the band at the wedding, so I hope that my my voice. It was will nearly a month ago now. No, I but think God, I've done something. I really think it bad. might have. I think it might have happened when um,
1: a certain young Hawthorne player by the name of James Sicily gave away a free kick.
0: And- uh, what was he thinking? <laughs> um, Car a few nice messages on Insta account. Thanks everybody. We now have nine hundred and sixty-eight followers. We're almost back to our thousand. If you haven't yet joined us, please follow us on at Don't Shoot Pod. Don't shoot pod. Uh, and there's been a few comments about the sponge cake, which I will read later. Uh, like to say hello to at that Lisa. Quote: I agree with Corrie, Was watching the footy classified show and thought that Ka- the shirt that Caro was wearing is definitely her colour. That's very
1: kind. So and remember, sure I was
0: very nice to you last week. You were. You're like always you nice week. to me. Sure. No. 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 I,
1: I'm not. It was um. What well, being played on an SEN show off the bench is actually a badge of honour, Cory, because it shows that Don't Shoot the messengers getting a lot of traction.
0: That's Shaw- all we care about. Any publicity is good publicity. Shauna
1: current. O'Sullivan agreed with me over my clash with Craig Hutchison regarding his comments about the new naming of Giants Stadium. Um, to her, to Shauna, Craig's comments were just more Melbourne media bashing of Sydney clubs. She doesn't agree that it's done marketing, and she doesn't. She thinks it's lazy journalism. Surely the giants are the target expansion demographic, anyway.
0: Thank you, Shauna, Corey, Lindsay. Goal of the can ma- I just say, oh, Lindsay Reed from Perth said uh, when I suggested last week that we should go to Perth or do something like that. She said, "Come to Perth to do your podcast. Autumn, spring, the best time. We would love to have you here." Can I send a cheerio to our friend
1: Dixie Marshall? Yes, so, hi, Dixie. The, but the problem is, you know, as we know, Dixie's partner is the media boss of Fremantle. And whenever I ring up Fremantle now to talk to him about a Fremantle issue, he, we just get onto the podcast and some feedback from Dixie about what we should be doing. It's actually harming my journalistic career. So it's a bit hard to go hard on him when he's a listener. No, well, I mean, I love Luke fest, but I, and I, when I need to ask him a question about Jesse Hogan, can we just get off the podcast, please? No. Now, Corrie, the goal of the month, um, have you noticed my, you know how I broke my goal of the month in February mm. by buying a pale pink raincoat. Mm. Well, it was worth it, wasn't it? You're looking at it now.
0: I know. You're rustling a bit, but apart from... Jane's a bit worried (laughs) about the audio, but it is a very beautiful colour. In fact, when we were pulling up today outside Croc Media Studios, I noticed the pink raincoat before I I noticed the person. I thought, that looks a nice
1: coat. I've been praying for rain for more than one reason, Corrie, and this raincoat has been one of them. But tell me, can I wear boots yet, please? No.
0: Oh, No, it's absolutely April. not. It's April, No, 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 not till the end of the month, Caro. Not till the end of April. No, you'll be, you'll, listen, you'll be thanking me in September when you go. Those flipping boots, I'm so sick of them. Promise. Well, well the rain rather put paid to my walking over the weekend.
1: Um, I'm still averaging, I think I'm averaging something like 5.2, no, 4.2 kilometres a day, but that's not nearly enough.
0: Well, do, you mar- do you have your March total? Have you added it up? Um, I do. I'll give it to you in a minute. Nothing like asking a journalist to give figures because journalists usually are pretty lousy at maths.
1: Yeah. Well, my problem is I don't wear one of those Fitbits, so when I go and work out at the gym, I'm not wearing it. So I'm running.
0: No, you can't count the gym. It's actual walking steps. What about
1: running? Uh, We go for runs. Mm. We run for kilometres. Oh, you do. (laughs) We do. Well, jog.
0: Even run run for kilometres for years. How many kilometres would you do in jog at gym?
1: Well, you jog around the block as part of your warm up and that's about that's about 1K, one K, one point five K so it's just the warm up.
0: Oh really then you're
1: Yeah, then we do suicides and stuff.
0: What's <laughs> suicide?
1: You don't know what a suicide is
0: No, because I don't do gym well, you, with you go I do it on my own.
1: Shorter then further then further and you have to either do burpees or star jumps at the end of each one or touch the floor and then run back oh. and then further and then further and then further.
0: Oh, God. No wonder you have such a big Christmas break-up with your gym group. Everyone's in need of a grog. Well, your sponge challenge, we we can't really ask about that because you've already made it. Well, look, issues with the sponge. Uh, I have seen a photo of Josie Wildsmith's uh, sponge cake. That was the recipe I was using, courtesy of our friend Mandy, and hers looked light and fluffy, and mine looks dense. looked dense and thick. It did taste nice, but it didn't really taste like a fluffy sponge. But thank you to all the potties who commented, like Kirsten Marie Fox, looks pretty good, Corrie. Well done, I do love passion fruit sponge. Can't buy tin passion fruit pulp here in Ireland, so I try to stock up when I come back to Australia. That and Tim Tams. Um, and Dish Life, thank you, looks delicious. Uh, yeah, but, well, it was, but it wasn't really spongy. And Ocean Beach, uh, Yoga at Sorrento, that's their whole, um, that's their complete name of their Instagram account. Thanks, Carol and Corey. Your podcast keeps me awake, entertained, driving back from the ballet last night. Always a good laugh and a great listen. And having never ever cooked a cake in my life, I'm tempted to start with the passion fruit sponge and put my domestic goddess skills to the test. Looks delish. You go for that, Maggie. That could be your go. So thanks, everyone.
1: Speaking of domestic goddess, I picked 25 passion fruit from my vine on the weekend. That is fabulous. 25 quince and eight Fuji apples.
0: Your quince is already, but that little quince has yep. grown twenty-five quinces,
1: four jalapenos, and six red chilies. Oh
0: my god! Shall uh, I you keep know, going? Well, shall I? Shall I send my son-in-law Charlie <laughs> Spear to visit you now that he's got his um, veggie patch up and running? So that brings us to our April challenge, Caro, and I'll get in first because I did announce it last week. My April challenge is to bring to life the veggie patch that I erected at the beach. In summer, but I never got to plant, mainly because the neighbours said there are a couple of brown snakes in the back garden, so I was a bit scared of going to that part of the garden. But I'm going to start in April. That's it. Ready to start planting.
1: I've got one that I have to say is not original. Um, Our friend Mary gave me the inspiration over the weekend, and it's sort of based on something we've talked about already this year, but I'm feeling a bit lacking inspiration, and I think this is a great idea. I'm going to throw out 20 things every Sunday. For the next month. Oh. Every Sunday. Anna from the op shop. Here yeah. she comes. It can be anything. It can be an old lettuce out of the fridge. But no, I'm not going to make it what, food. Or weevils out of your pantry? No, I'm not oh, going to make it for do you mean like Marie, Marie Kondo? No. You're going to get um, rid of stuff. Unlike you, Corrie, I don't have weevils in my pantry. Um, I have a. It's a messy pantry, but there are no weevils. I am going to throw out 20 things and it's not food. Okay. Yep. Okay, I'm on. If you're thinking
0: of throwing out that pink raincoat, just saying... Are you joking? joking. It's finally rained and I'm finally wearing it. It's it's just still a novelty. Anyway, I do want your kilometres for the month of March. So that's 31 days, Caro. So whatever 3.2 by 31 is, can't add it up at the moment, 90 or 100 and something. uh, We need to know that you've done that, okay? So um, you officially haven't completed your March challenge yet. Okay,
1: I'll I'll find my phone before the end of the show and I'll read it to you. Now, Corrie, um, Eddie Maguire was um, calling the footy on Friday night in his role as a Fox footy commentator and he cracked a gag... Well, he thought it was a gag about Cynthia Bannum, who is the former Sydney Morning Herald journalist turned academic and author, who was tossing the coin for the Sydney Swans. She's their number one member. She normally gets around in a wheelchair. She's a double amputee, but it meant a lot to her, so she walked out into the middle of the ground, the SCG, on her walking stick. And Eddie um, belittled the way she tossed the coin and said there should be a fine for people who don't toss the coin properly and fair dinkum, can't we get it right, tossing the coin, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, the Swans were filthy. Phone calls rang around Australia, really, between the Swans and Fox Footy, the AFL and the Sydney Swans, the AFL and other people from around the footy community because Gillan McLaughlin is a great consultant. In my view, he should have acted and made a statement about this, but he hasn't because Eddie is a formidable ally and the AFL tend to run for cover on these things. Um, Many issues out of it, but I don't think you can delineate between being the Collingwood president and a Fox footy commentator. I think when you're a football official or president, you sign up to the codes and beliefs and mantras and rules of the game, and it doesn't matter what hat you are wearing on that particular moment. We all know who Eddie is and anything he does, really, he is representing Collingwood as well as any other media organisation.
0: Caro, it's interesting you use the word he made a joke. I actually felt that he was saying it in a semi-serious way. He the way he commented about, you know, cut, we get this right. He was almost editorialising at Cynthia's expense. And for those of, who don't know the Cynthia Bannum story, she was uh, a very highly respected Sydney Morning Herald journalist who, in March two thousand and seven, with a number of other journalists and people who were uh, the plane crash in Indonesia. They were. It was a not a junket, but it was a um, like a, a press tour, if you like. A couple of her colleagues were actually killed. She survived the most horrendous burns. Many um, from Alexander Downer's office, weren't they? There and, it was a terrible, yeah. terrible accident. And, uh, of course, she had her partner, Michael Harvey, who later proposed to her in hospital, has stuck by her side. She is truly a remarkable person, how she's turned absolute adversity and tragedy into a positive she wrote a book, it came out this time last year, Kara, called A Certain Light. You can still buy it, um, Pottie's, at bookshops. It's really good read. Um, she found lots of um, uh, against the odds kind of stories in her own family makeup. So it's, it's, it is part memoir and it's also about what happened to her and her recovery. She is now a doctor of philosophy. She is a master in international affairs at ANU. So she's an eminent academic. And she uh, she is – Michael introduced her to Australian rules and now she is an ambassador for the Sydney Swans Football Club. And I couldn't think of a better person to be tossing the coin. She has a number
1: of their committees and, and that sort of the, stuff. But the,
0: the, the thing about Eddie, kind of all, all the oxygen has kind of gone his way, which I, I, I'm stressing it should because, you know, my feelings about, you know, Collingwood presidents who make inappropriate comments. As you just said, quite rightly, they're representing a whole cast of stakeholders there. So they should be more responsible but it actually took the light, the light away from the issue of how we should be um, embracing and talking about people of a di- who have a difference or have a disability, whether it's an intellectual one or a physical one. This was a fantastic moment of togetherness, cohesiveness. Nobody thought about Cynthia and her walking sticks, or whether she was in a chair, or what the issue was, or anything like that. She's an ambassador for this for this great club, and this was a great moment. And we've forgotten all of that. Well, Eddie, I get course, very angry about Eddie Maguire's behaviour. Eddie, of course, um, and I believe
1: this says he had no idea who he was criticising, um, and he says the vision was blurry, or he hadn't really. He was in properly. the Melbourne studio, wasn't he? While this was happening up in Sydney.
0: Uh, was he? Yeah, I think he was in the Melbourne studio. Well,
1: uh, how come he could see the poor toss, but not the walking stick? I
0: don't know. I coin, don't know. Coin toss,
1: coin toss. I keep saying toss. <laughs> it's a shocking thing. Um, I, I just think it really doesn't matter whether or not he knew who she was because he he was criticising just a member of the public who tossed the coin poorly, who happened to be on a walking stick. And if we believe he didn't see the walking stick, I still don't think it quite justifies
0: his excuses. Absolutely not. And just following up on what you said, my question to all those stakeholders, those supporters, the players, the Collingwood Football Club staff, the corporate and private sponsors, not to mention the fact that Eddie is a commissioner, so there's the whole AFL community. He's not a commissioner. Oh, sorry, not a commissioner. Um, He's on the... He's the chairman of Collingwood. Yeah, yeah. so he's on the commission though, isn't he? No, no, no. Oh, okay, No, the AFL commission's independent. Um, But my question to all of these people is, do you want a person who continues to suffer from this foot and mouth disease in a really kind of blokey and appropriate way, do you want him representing your interests? That is my question to the people who can vote him out. Oh, yeah, they will never do that. That they, the members absolutely love him. Well, not and, after, um, and also
1: the way they played the other night. They were pretty formidable. They were unbelievable. But it doesn't help Collingwood when he co- comes out and says these things. And it's just that there's so much... The AFL at the moment is all about inclusion and diversity and... Um, they're quick to take away memberships and ban people and put people on the back pages if they have a bet, or it just seems a bit weak that they can't actually make a strong statement at Mm -hmm. least, or ask him. I mean, I think he should find himself. I think he should make a donation to the charity of Cynthia's Choice. I mean, he's been doing a lot of managing of it behind the scenes. There's so much history of Eddie and Sydney, I know, and I don't think I'm biased here. Obviously, I've been and, you know, I've had a crack at him over the journey. But I think, you know, the comments he made about me and the comments he made about Cynthia are absolutely nothing compared to what he said about Adam Goods, And that's something he's going to have to confront when that documentary comes out in a few
0: months. Oh, how is that go- So when is that due? I'm dying to see I think that. it's being released late May, early
1: June. And it's all old vision. It's just vision of what happened at the time. And I imagine the people to come out of it worst are going to be people like Sam Newman and Miranda Devine and Andrew Bolt. And um Alan Jones. Eddie will look foolish and obviously his comments on radio, that terrible joke he made about Adam Goodes and he excused himself by saying he was tired. You know, he did apologise. He was made to do racial vilification training, I think. Well, that's what the AFL said at the time. But you you wonder how contrite he really is because often behind the scenes he tells you what a great ambassador he is for all these minority groups and yet he continues to keep doing it. And if he's really contrite, he'd put his hand up and say... I'm contrite. I should never have done it. It was terrible. I can't believe I did it. I'm sorry. Anyway,
0: poor... Don't get me started, as they say. Caro, on another footy note, what about the AFLW Grand Final?
1: Well, it was... Look, it was a wonderful um, event. 53,000 people is an, is an incredible result, and... I probably should put my hand up and apologise here and say I was critical of the scheduling. I was critical of the um, fact that they moved it from Saturday to Sunday because they wanted it a standalone game on Adelaide Oval, even though it wasn't a standalone game itself. Well, it was up against an AFL game on Fox footy. I haven't actually looked at the ratings, but the fact that they got 53,000 people and by far the biggest crowd at any women's sporting event in this country's history. What does it and, say about footy?
0: Oh, for, for regardless of gender, what does that say about our well, great game? And
1: and what it says about our love of footy clubs? Because in the end, it was the Adelaide Crows versus Carlton, and the Adelaide supporters and a lot of Carlton supporters turned up in droves. Aaron Phillips, obviously the story of the game for good and bad reasons. He's. Um, been named the most valuable player. As we speak, she hasn't won the W, the award that I reckon should be named after her eventually, but she will, I reckon. She won the equivalent of the Norm Smith medal for the best player on the ground, even though she did an ACL in the third quarter and didn't even play in the last quarter. The scenes of her being carried off the ground, did you see them? I did, I did, yeah. And all the Carlton players going up to the motorised stretcher, as well as the Adelaide players. I had tears in my eyes. I mean, it was
0: so emotional. It it was very emotional. And also, um, the... Oh, his name's gone out of my head. The Carlton coach who used to... Daniel play, Harford. Yeah, I was going to say Hawthorne great. Um, he made some really lovely comments too. I think, I think too. great's a bit strong. Oh, oh, he was okay. a good player. Very good player. Handy player. Handy player. But he, he, made, he said some lovely things about Aaron Phillips and the Crows and the spirit of, of Adelaide generally. And it was so refreshing, Caro, to hear uh, to hear a coach... Uh, not only congratulating the other side, but with sincerity, saying it was a real pleasure to play this game. We were honoured to be here. The crowd's been great. The spirit is fantastic. There were some really important lessons I thought from that whole grand final. They've got to get the, this whole draw right. Uh, the, this conference system. I'm never quite sure why it's called a conference system. Can you explain why it's well, they're called a Well, so they a sort of a sort
1: of a sort of a sort of a sort not you not you just call it like groups, right or, well, that's you know. Why is it called a league, Corrie? Oh, it could I be called a, it could but be it's called a congress called It Sounds like they're all
0: having a meeting with well, it, it, it's, cheap coffee out of an urn or it, something.
1: It, as the uh, first woman ever to cover football in this country, you should be well of. of you should be well across conferences. Oh,
0: take um, that. No, Corrie. take I, that one, Craig. You can have that one. Okay, <laughs> it's like the whack of the week.
1: Uh, no, no. I, I just think that um, they're doing it because they can't. They don't. They don't want to have a longer season. They don't want it to cut across too many other sports. They're worried about it being saturated by men's footy. As it turned out, I think we saw a lesson on the weekend. I mean, they still got 53,000. I bet the ratings were fabulous, even though they weren't amazing for the rest of the season. They'll decide in the coming weeks whether they're going to start the season in October or more likely Australia Day. Four new clubs coming in next year, although not the Mighty Hawks. Oh, no, They've so. got a way to go. Um, look, I think it's... Um, Realise that society is changing Hawthorne and all those other clubs. Well, they, they were late to the party, but they'll get that they're, they're in now, and they've got a VFLW team. I think you know the, one more thing to say about this is the cultural effect, its impact, it's had on the game, and it, it's slow but sure, Corey. And there are so many more women now on the scene in footy. There's just more women on the scene. And speaking of culture, the night Erin won her first W. And you you would remember Erin's father, Greg Phillips, because he was playing when you and I first started covering footy. He was an absolute champion of the game. But when she won her first W and kissed her wife when, when it was announced, and that photograph just spoke volumes about where we were at in this country. At the time she kissed her wife, marriage was not legal in this country between women or men of the same sex. That changed later in the year, but it was just a, a shameful sort of indictment on our country. I thought that, you know, we had this sporting hero kissing her wife and yet in this country, because her wife's American, they wouldn't have been allowed to marry. It forced the AFL to step up and um, take a stand, which was a bit slow, but they did it. So um, more power to wear in Phillips and let's hope they get the fixture right for next year. Let's hope
0: they get a few more games. That would be good. Caro, uh, on the subject of women, last week, uh, Graham Samuel, who we know as a corporate watchdog, uh, he made a point that the, there are walls built around an exclusive group of female board members. And I'm now quoting from Janet Albrechtson's article on The Weekend Australian. She said, "These this um, wall was so impenetrable, only a nuclear bomb could blow it open to other women. It was a really interesting article. I don't know whether you read it. It's titled, Boardroom Bandits Only Too Quick to Shoot the Messenger. And the the issue... I (laughs) know. Copyright. (laughs) (laughs) Janet, we'll send you our bank details. (laughs) It's quite interesting, though, that they call it a Norwegian phenomenon, or anyway, Janet does, and she says that there's a small club of female directors in Norway. It was so tight after the government mandated that 40% quota for women on boards was mandatory. This little group became known as the Golden Skirts. And between 2007 and 2010, after the quota came into effect, four times as many women as men held 16 board positions and twice as many women as men held 13 to 16 board positions. And so a lot of the women were doing the same women were doing three, four, five lots of boards. Janet Albrechtson in her article on the weekend points out that this is happening in Australia. Oh, absolutely it is. It absolutely is. And I was interested to hear your thoughts because particularly in relation to the AFL, because for a few years now, they've all kind of got with the program and they do have female board members, female commissioners, and indeed female presidents of football clubs. But it has taken a while for all of this to happen. And... um, So I was looking up this very interesting website, uh, which I've now lost. But the reason, you know one of the reasons, it's laziness,
1: because some of the men or the people who select these women directors don't bother doing their research. No. Exactly right. So, And, and this happened. This this used to happen to me when I used to say the AFL needed a woman commissioner. Well, you name one. Name one. We, we've tried. We've looked, but we can't find any. I know. Any. It's, that,
0: it's that angry response that I'm so over. And then so you do over.
1: name one and you get accused of, well, we can't just put in someone you've suggested. You should have named several. Oh, well, you asked me to name one and That's I've right. named one. That's exactly
0: right. So, I want to direct the men and women of Australia who are looking for women board members to a very interesting website called womenonboards.net. This is one of the most interesting websites I have come across in recent times. It is an update on it's everything you need to know if you're interested in joining a board if you're female or indeed if you are putting together a board makeup and you need to find a good woman. There are 23,399 members of this group. And each month or week or whatever it is, you get an update of how many board positions are listed, how many events which are um, self uh not self-promotion, but like um, self-education, they run a whole lot of events and forums and things have like that. Have you ever done the board course,
1: that one that people go up, I know people have gone up to Queensland to do, or any of those board no, courses? I
0: have, no, I haven't, because as you know, I've only been on about three or four boards in my life. That's and three or four more than I've ever been on. <laughs> well, no, on. Ju- I don't think journalists should be on boards, no, but I'd at be the moment, hopeless. in the interest of disclosure, as they say, uh, no, I'd be hopeless, in the mainstream press, um, I am on a board at the moment, the Wheeler Centre board, but it is a not-for-profit, and I do think that probably, yes, at some point, I should do a board course because maybe that could be, you've said before, it should be a career opportunity for me. I don't know. I'm happier in the not-for-profit sector, which is no reason to not do a board course. But I just want people to have a look at this, particularly women, particularly young women who think that uh, board directorship might be something that they're interested in in the future. Get on board, pardon the pun, with the women who run this organisation. It is fabulous. Uh, and particularly for the AFL, have a look at that because you could you could find your next um, couple of board members there who are not part of the clique of women. And women can be so tough on other women, Carol. I know that's such an age-old thing that we say, but women in corporate Australia are so – some women are so good at leaving other women out.
1: Yeah, I think um that that is said about women but I think men I've do I've come it. across it. I have yeah, come across I know but men do it to each other as well. I know
0: but I'm not saying men don't. I'm not no, saying I mean, that's I a know. whole separate thing. You know the, the, you think it's a human
1: characteristic generally. Yes, yeah, and people say oh women are so much tougher on other women. I, I think that's a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy and I, I People say it a lot in footy and I, and I don't think it's the case certainly among the women in the media who I'm, you know, always trying to encourage and, you know, if I think someone in the media who's a woman has done something wrong, I'll, I'll tell
0: them, but I no, think... But you're a generous person, but there are some women who are in positions of massive power and authority for these, this particular reason, this golden skirts phenomenon, because they have been seen as being, you know, they're good lawyer or good accountant or good brain or whatever it is and they'll bring value to this board. Oh, they're really good. Let's put them on seven other boards. And then this kind of power thing, I don't want to let anybody into my patch. This is my thing. This is the thing I do. I've seen it happen.
1: Look, I know, but it reminds me of the AFL for years said Tasmania, we can't have an AFL team in Tasmania. They're so divided. It's north versus south. And they continue to create divisions. Um, When you're talking about Indigenous Australians getting more involved in footy and people will say, oh, that indigenous politics is far more political and far more bitter than white politics. And you go, well, actually, it, no, it's not. It, yes, there are – Indigenous politics is a thing, but it doesn't mean there are divisions. It doesn't mean that you can just sort of diss it and – and not sort of try and get more Indigenous Australians onto Australian mm. rules footy boards, into coaching positions, into um, official and executive positions. And as far as boards go, you know my views, quotas. You've yep. got to have quotas. Yep.
0: Well, you've convinced me of that last year and I agree with you now. I didn't used to, but I do now. So anyway, interesting article, Janet Albrickson in The Weekend Australian. And if you just type in her name and golden skirts, it should probably come up. It's time for Crush of the Week, and Caro has a crush, and this segment is brought to us by our friends at the Interchange Bench. Whenever there's a gap in your essential staff team, fill it with a pro from the Interchange Bench, or if you've got a spot in your board, look for a woman from the Interchange Bench. <laughs> <laughs> all professional-level roles, all industries and sectors, both short and long-term, just call 1-800-I-BENCH or see interchangebench.com.au. Caro, who's your crush?
1: Well, it would have been very easy, Corey, to, Corey, to say Erin Phillips. I've talked about. Oh, Erin I thought Phillips you might be doing her. No, well, I've I've talked about Erin, and she is worthy of crush of the week. But no, my crush of the week is for a pioneer of Australian women's football, and her name is Jan Cooper. Jan is based in WA. She's worked at West Coast Eagles. She presented one of the awards on the podium at Adelaide Oval on Sunday, um, in front of fifty three thousand people. She. Uh, women's footy I don't think would have got to where it has got without Jan. Many feel that she was usurped for a more senior role when the AFLW was created. Certainly she's been marginalised by the AFL, no longer working on their books, but working over in WA instead. She is a, a champion of this competition. She understands the nuances of women's footy, the rules, the players, the different issues that women players face as compared with men. She has... Overseen the demand for more pioneering, um, a more pioneering look into why women are getting more concussions, more knee injuries. I mean two ACLs, including Erin, of course, suffered during the grand final on Sunday. Um Jan Cooper and is, she has won the Essendon and Women's Network Woman of the Year. She was strongly pushed by the West Coast Eagles some years ago. Which is a very prestigious award, we need to point out. It is. It is. I think you won it. Is that my cue? <laughs> Did I get it right? <laughs> I might have won it, um, Jan. But Jan, Jan is more deserving of, than me, and um, so Jan Cooper, um, little known, but you would have seen her on the podium presenting the award on um, on Sunday. Yes, I did. She presented. Did she present the Premiership Cup? I think she did, or was that Beck Goddard, the former coach of the Adelaide Crows? Anyway, she presented one of the major awards. So Jan Cooper is my crush of the week, which moves us on to thanks, of course, to the interchange bench. Moves us on to BSF. B is for book, and you've got a cracker, I understand.
0: Well, it's a cracker. It's an interesting cracker, but it's not out yet. So it's a pre-cracker, <laughs> a, a little, a little you read tiny it? cracker. Yes, I of course you get an advanced copy when you're as important as I am in the industry. Okay, so fans of Ian McEwen, hold on to your hats. The book is called Machines Like Us, and it will be published in the middle of the month. And if you would like to order a copy, Great go straight title. go straight to your bookshop and order it now because they're gonna go off like hotcakes. Thirty two ninety nine published by Penguin. Machines like us, Caro. So we love Ian McEwen, English writer, seventy love years of age. Love him. Has won the man booker prize He is is one of those handful of contemporary writers that, you know, whatever book or whatever journey you're going on with him, you can trust him because it's going to be uh, an interesting journey. This is an interesting journey, Caro. He brings a black humor and ethical quizzing to a cautionary tale about artificial intelligence and the increasing humanization of machines, which just reminds me that when you walk into Checker and Charlie's house in Ballarat, Google says hello to you. And you can just yell out, and Google does I'm not really I'm not a big fan oh, of it. Oh, no, no, I don't like that. Sometimes I think Google's, she's listening. Um, so. Um, Potties need to know that this is not the Ian McEwan who is as accessible as when he wrote Atonement or On Chesil Beach. This is the Ian McEwan of *Solar* and the more recently peculiar Nutshell. Um, oh, which it, was about – which was the fetus inside. Yeah. That was great. I <laughs> the love fetus, that book. The fetus who, oh. who is uh, who is based on Hamlet, who's watching everything terrible happen between his mother. Oh, and all that drinking shit. Uh, <laughs> all, that, all that pain. Uh, and I then know. the book ends, of course, when the fetus is born, but um, – This is more more along those lines and also bouncing around ethical dilemma just as he did in the Children Act. So what we have here is Charlie. He's 32 years of age and his younger student girlfriend, Miranda, and a synthetic human called Adam. Now, what you have to do, Carol, is you have to take yourself back to 1982, but you have to imagine that Britain has lost the Falklands War, that Margaret Thatcher's prime ministership is teetering, that Tony Ben could be taking over the company, the country, that the Beatles are still together and that um, the whole world, <laughs> as Ian McEwen has pictured it, is almost where we are now but a little bit ahead of where we are now. So we have pho- They have phones. Why he said it in 1982, I don't know, but it's a curious device that kind of is working for me. But everything is um, as it is now, but as it was back then, if you get my gist, so Charlie comes into an inheritance and spends £86,000 on the first truly viable manufactured human, human with plausible intelligence and looks. So this package is delivered to him. It's called Adam. There are 12 Adams and 13 Eves. He missed out on getting one of the Eves. I think some sexual deviant's got the Eves. So he ends up with Adam. And you can, promote, you can plug into Adam your personality, what sort of personality you like? You know, like Kara Wilson, I'm um, really good at footy, or Corrie Perkin, gentle, soft, you know, whatever it is that you want to do. So Charlie, Charlie starts... Interesting analogy. Charlie starts programming <laughs> things, and then he asks Miranda, his girlfriend, to program. But just before he does, Adam warns Charlie that she is not to be trusted. So I'm not going to say anything more about this novel, but as the relationship between Miranda and uh, Charlie develops as a couple, we have Adam sitting on the sidelines a bit like the Greek chorus. And you can turn your artificial intelligence person off. So Adam has a switch at the back of his head that Charlie can turn off. But Adam actually learns to turn it back on without them knowing. So when they think that he's not really there, he is. This is wacko. It is amazing. The writing is incredible. I think some readers will get a little bored with it because it is Ian McEwan looking at the world of machines and computers in our life, but go on the journey. It's really worth it. Comes out in a couple of weeks.
1: Machines like us by Ian McEwan. Well, I finally got to the French Film Festival after oh, our may
0: we se bien
1: after a disappointing effort on your birthday when we. Oh,
0: come was, on. The pig Gun was much more chose, fun. We <laughs>
1: chose the pub over the French Film Festival. Rose and I went last week and saw um the other day and saw a film that actually opened the French Film Festival. And it was on at just the perfect time on a Wednesday evening. So we trotted down to the Kino after, in the city of Melbourne after Rose finished work, popped it down a little Aperol Spritz, and then went and saw
0: The Trouble With You, a crazy film. I wouldn't say I loved it. Is it another family drama where everybody comes home to work out the inheritance when no. a father has died? No, I it love is. those sorts of French movies. Um the the heroine is a female
1: cop. Um it's set in the south of France. I think it's Nice. And um her husband has been um eulogized in a statue in set up in one of the main squares in the town because he was is a dead hero. And there's a lot of fantasy scenes with um, the mother reading, um, telling the story to the small boy, the son, their son, about her father's heroic actions. But as she learns more about what her husband really was, which very, very early in the piece you find out he was a bent cop, the story changes. Um, she sets out to right a wrong he did, which is, it is just a crazy, wacky spoof on a cop film. It is crazy. Um, the only... Actor, actress I recognised in the whole film was Audrey Tattoo, who plays the partner of the husband, of the man who was wrongly put into jail as a result of the Ben Cops' bad doings.
0: So the Ben um, Cops' wife, she's trying. So she, the, she becomes a bit of a detective herself, well, does she? Well,
1: he is a detective. She oh, okay. is a cop, and look there there is it's just crazy it is just so wacky it well, gets wacky they,
0: good or is it like wacky oh, no, in and i've got
1: to it, indulge or wacky don't bother it's a comedy spoof it's funny it's sort of crazy the ending is completely insane um but I really enjoyed it. I mean it's French, it's set well, you in the south it of after France. An all or two, um, you? Well only one. It's set in the south of France, you know, what's not to like. I certainly enjoyed it more than what I saw at the MCG the following night between Richmond and Collingwood. So that's the film and Corrie, I have a recipe. This is such an oldie. But such a goodie! Oh, it's in a little recipe book. It's from my recipe book for my recipe tea that yes. you helped contribute to many years I organized ago. I organised
0: for your bride. I was yeah. your bridesmaid back, mo- in days, I,
1: back in the days. Back in the days when we didn't have hens, we had recipe teas.
0: <laughs> and my aunt Louise. Can I just give everyone the chip? You're not missing anything. <laughs> my my Aunt
1: Louise, who... Um, Much rather a hens. ...was my mother's godmother, and by the time of my recipe tea, which was hosted by my aunt, whose name is Button, Aunt Louise was still alive, and she was sort of like a surrogate grandmother and a wonderful woman, not a famously good cook. and I, In fact, I've been given since a recipe book that she was given at her recipe tea from my grandmother, which makes fun of all her shocking cooking. You've um,
0: you've read out from Aunt Louise's cookbook before.
1: Yes, I have. I think we were vomiting at the back, Shane and I. This one is an absolute cracker. It's basically her cheese biscuits. Very easy, but you need to be able to have... Is that con-
0: Louise writing that or is that you saying that?
1: No, I'm telling you. <laughs> it's got four ingredients four, and it, you'll have to get your converter out. Four ounces of plain flour, four, four ounces of grated tasty cheese four ounces of butter, and half a teaspoon of cayenne pepper. That's it. How hard can it be? I
0: don't know.
1: You're talking to someone who buggered up the sponge. Turn on the oven. Well, yeah, sponges are harder. Turn on the oven to 180. Soften the butter. Add the grated cheese. What I've started doing over the summer was I halved the tasty cheese. I did half tasty cheese and half Parmigiano-Reggiano. So it becomes an expensive,
0: exotic little biscuit.
1: Well, well you can just even chuck in the packet grated stuff if you want, packet parmesan. I don't think Louise would approve. So you so you you've got the basically the grated cheese and the butter, you mix that well, you add the dry ingredients which are the flour and the cayenne, you make it into small little balls, press with a fork like you do melting moments, put them in the one hundred eighty oven twenty minutes. Bob is your uncle. Serve with a no, glass. No, Louise is your aunt. Serve <laughs> Serve with a glass of champagne.
0: Oh, more drinking. How good. I tell you what, if we don't get a grog sponsor, there's something wrong with us. How Sorry. many times in a show do you and I mention drinks, being, being drunk, having a good time with a drink, going to book club and having a glass of wine? It's never ending. Well, it's, it is a bit
1: of a part of life. But one little tip with it: when, once you've made the mixture, particularly if you're making them in summer or warmer weather, put them once you've done the balls on the baking tray. Put them in the fridge for fifteen minutes, oh, and to, then put them in the them oven up so they're not too so grumpy. they don't go. Mm, pff, mm. You know, they don't splash. Yes, I know that feeling. No, Corey, my melting moments in the past. I know you're grumpy today. I just want to mention two things. Just saying, after the tragedy in Christchurch, we've now heard that um, Prince William is going to visit this month, later this month or next month, why didn't he go to the memorial where Jacinta Ardern spoke so beautifully? I mean, if the royals are at all interested in New Zealand and Australia not becoming a republic, I would have thought... Get on that plane, William, well, and get out there. Megan, I agree. I, I know it was
0: such a fabulous service. I,
1: I'm not trivialising this... Unbelievable international tragedy, this dreadful tragedy. But you know, we, there's a story. Meghan and Harry went to the New Zealand embassy with a wreath. I mean, please. I just think you know, if we, if the royal family is to be taken seriously, I, I would have, I would have thought someone from the royal family, in line to the throne, if not the queen, would have turned up in New Zealand for that service. Second thing, I know you love cooking shows, but what is that MKR ad at the moment with a guy brandishing a knife? My Kitchen Rules, the show on Channel Seven, and they're I all have going. No idea what you're talking about. He's got a knife. He's got a knife, and he's twisting it around menacingly.
0: Oh, I did see that it's ad. It's a terrible ad. I did see that it's ad. An exciting, violence so and setting, menacing, and horrible. They're setting up one of the competitors to be. Uh angry or disloyal or yes. oh, it's and he's vicious. stabbing the knife on the table. A bit. He's yeah.
1: got the knife tip of the knife on his hand. No, no, don't like it. Anyway, sorry, I've stolen your thunder, but
0: you're grumpy. Oh, no, I'm happy with both those. I do think the royals were a bit slow in responding. Uh, I'm grumpy about One Nation, Caro, and I don't care who out there calls me on my politics on this one. The Australian people and the Australian electorate must be, surely you must be, we must be sophisticated enough to realise that Pauline Hanson and her One Nation Party are playing us for a break. like They are attempting to bring to life this politics of fear. They're building a supporter base uh, To win more seats in the Senate But when you really ask yourself What are the party's policies Where does it stand on heartland issues Such as the environment Gun legislation Political donations to parties Party ethics Migrants There are so many issues where they are dividing And their thing is divide and rule Well Pauline Hanson I say divide and die I'm not literally but you know Bravo Scott Morrison I suppose For finally coming out uh, coming to the decision to put Labor ahead of One Nation in preferences Why of the next election. Why didn't he put election. them last? Why didn't he just put them last? I don't know. Um, and uh, the one letter to the editor in The Age I thought was quite interesting said, "'Commentators say that Scott Morrison, with his decision to preference One Nation below Labor, is handing Bill Shorten's Shorten the Prime Minister's job on a plate. Maybe not, but I am for the first time impressed with this action. At last, Morrison showed leadership.' Well, I didn't catch the name of the person who wrote this letter to the editor, but I do agree with you. At least he's showing a bit of leadership. But I am so over One Nation and Pauline Hanson. Time to go.
1: Yes, I'm, it won't change her vote, I doubt, sadly. Um, Corrie, that was your grumpy. Now it's time for six quick questions. Do you want to kick it off?
0: I will, because I was intrigued to see, again, The Weekend Australian, Carol, Australia's rich list was published. They seem to have – they they come around very quickly, the rich rich list – Um, still relevant, and who do you think was the most interesting inclusion? Oh, look, that that intriguing – well, not
1: intriguing. I mean, what intrigues me is the youth of today. I'm sounding a bit old, but that Adelaide couple in their 20s who've invented that fitness app who – there was a big article about them in the Weekend Australian magazine. Boy, oh boy, they – we weren't like that when we were in our 20s. We didn't look like that. We certainly (laughs) didn't look like that when we were heavily pregnant. We – I mean, I don't know. I was wearing I,
0: so, I was wearing clothes from Sports Girl.
1: This, hey, I still am. It's scary. It is absolutely <laughs> scary. But I do need to mention that rather, um, it, well, I, I won't use cringeworthy, but the thought of Anthony Pratt serenading Gina Reinhart.
0: Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a visual image, too difficult to contemplate. Was it
1: Old Darling? Anyway, it was a Beatles It'd be song. It be a lot
0: of money, <laughs> a lot of money there.
1: Corrie, um, Mick Jagger, speaking of music, um, is pulled out of the Rolling Stones Tour, tour of America because of Ill, Ill health. Is that a concert you'd still want to go and see? No, Caro. Really? Oh, no. I'd still
0: go. No, I'm happy to rest on the laurels of the 1995 MCG. that was, oh, great. That was a great concert. My brother would argue who went and saw them at Kuyong in 1973. Would have been even better. When he accidentally fell off the tram and tore his... Cords, his new pair of cords, and my mother had a fit. But um, the 1995 MCG uh, bash, I remember so well for all the obvious reasons because they were all great. In except, great for form. When, except for when. Mick had a break and Keith took over. That was time time to go. And but what, get a, but what get a about beer? a friend? What about the friend of yours and mine who was so excited? I, I can't say who it is because uh, he works in the media still. But he was so excited that the beloved Stones were coming out to the MCG. He imbibed a bit too much before you know in the pre-match. <laughs> <laughs> and what happened? <laughs> and fell asleep. Not I'll just say not with liquor. And we were so excited, fell asleep in the seats and missed the entire show, even though everybody How was trying to wake him asleep? up. could you asleep. Well, just think about what you might have imbibed him. Oh, what an idiot. <laughs> I don't know, I don't um, know who you are. You do know this about, person. But- Caro, should Channel 9's footy show have retained Bill Brownless, and what do you think of the new lineup?
1: I think the new lineup's fine. I think it's going to need a bit of time to gel. Second show is much better than the first. Now, the problem isn't um, the lack of Billy Brownless, it is the lack of a new name. They had to rebrand the whole show. Mm, I that agree with that. Big mistake. Big mistake. Corrie, with all the fur flying around regarding the Mueller report and um, William Barr's four-page summary, what's
0: the best summary you've read or heard in the past week? There's been a lot, Kara, a lot of criticism of uh, US Attorney General William Barr for not uh, making the whole report available, although he has said that he will abide by con- Congress's Call for it, so I'm not sure whether we're going to see that or not. If none of this makes sense to you at all, potties, can I show, can I express to you? Uh, The strong suggestion that you read two pieces. One is an opinion piece in the Washington Post on the weekend by Sally Yates. She was Deputy Attorney General of the U.S. from 2015 to 2017 before Donald Trump sacked her. Most excellent piece of reporting. And she just says the American people deserve to know the truth. It's all about the truth. And the second one is um, our friends at Pod Save America. Their episode titled Peak Stupid, which went to air on March 29, and you can still call it up, it goes for an over an hour Pod Save America this episode, but the first half-hour conversation between host John Favreau and former Obama administrator and senior advisor um, and, of course, also on the podcast, Dan Pfeiffer, it is compelling. They just give you the complete rundown of where, uh, what should be happening, what has happened, and um, in a nutshell, if you just want the quick brief, that's the one. And uh, before you give us your
1: GLT, and speaking of the Stones, can I just say, if you want to read a great autobiography, I refer you to Life by Keith Richard. Yeah. One of the more fascinating, intriguing, no holds barred, what a selfish individual Keith Richards is, was, but... What a brilliant he hasn't died. Oh, no, but got, what, what a brilliant one. But what's your GLT? No, no,
0: I've got a question. Oh, for you've me. got a question. Sorry. 20, 22 year old Ash Barty oh, yes. won the Miami Open this weekend. Oh, I love the way she talks about us rather than me. She talks about her team winning, not just her. She's such a joy. Can, do you think she can go all the way in 2019 and win a Grand Slam? Absolutely she can. Yay! Absolutely she can. Corrie. Love her. I
1: hope she becomes the first Australian in a long time not to be intimidated by playing at her own Open and do something at the Australian Open. Fascinating story, Ash Vardy. I mean, obviously had a bit of time out. She'd get sick of talking about this, became a cricketer for a while, massive Richmond supporter, and has been mentored like, like Trent Cochin and like your very own coach, Alistair Clarkson, by Ben Crow. But that was just wonderful. That is a big tournament, the Miami Open. And that's
0: why I said 22 at the, at the introduction of that question, 22 years of age, Caro, so we still could have a few Grand Slams ahead of us. Oh, Definitely. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. What's your GLT? Okay, I did this I think this time last year, but not in the same way. Autumn leaves, Caro. So on the weekend on the weekend, Hattie and I went for a little walk around the burbs and I saw my first leaf blower. Enough. No more blowing leaves. Just don't please don't do that. You're looking at me like you've got one. You're looking a bit guilty. No, I've, oh good, I'm so Of glad. course, I don't. Okay. But I want to know what the tip is. Okay, so the tip is this: leave your autumn leaves on the grass and garden within reason. I mean if you have 20 plane trees in your backyard it's yes, clearly, no, clearly you would not be doing that but I did notice this in our old back in, in the day when we had our old family home in the leafy suburb of Melbourne um, called Hawthorne and we had lots of trees that were deciduous that if we just through laziness left them they eventually do break down and they're very good for con- keeping moisture and nutrients in your grass especially um, there is some um, there is a bit of a discussion among the lawn health society people who think that you should actually get rid of all the leaves on your grass because it's not good for them but I think where we are in Australia this particular area you know we're not inundated with autumn leaves leave them they are a really good mulch they eventually break down and you can mow over them which chops them up a bit so that's a bit helpful Alternatively, you could rake them up and put put them in your compost I think you're, <laughs> you're just being slack. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking of, you know, time poor potties who have autumn oh, leaves and they might just think, oh, hooray, now I've got the great excuse to leave them there. Well, which brings me to my mother,
1: Julia's great local tip, which is oak leaves because oak leaves are the best mulch for your garden. They sure Particularly are. when it's been raining and they get a bit squelchy. We used to walk back to our old street with big bags and fill them up and come home and put them on our Do garden. Do you remember
0: we used to put them in the... on the footpath we did where I lived in Hampton all the neighbourhood kids we put them on the footpath and then um, well I won't mention the word kerosene but we used to have a little bit of a bonfire in the footpath with, with all the autumn leaves, yeah, with the autumn leaves, everybody would come around. I think even there might have been a marshmallow or two. You where can't do it, that now. Where was it? No, the parental I lived, supervision I lived, was clearly lacking. I lived in a dead end street, and we were up the very dead end of the dead end. But um, no, it was always a great fun. Children, don't try this at home, Corrie, Very good, at GLT, um,
1: and particularly the oak leaves. I agree. Isn't it nice that autumn is upon us? We'll be sick of cold weather at some you point. You just want to wear your
0: bloody coat.
1: Don't I you? do. I do. Well, you're going to buy a new coat this year.
0: No. Well, I can't until. I get back from my walk. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, that's true. Oh,
1: I saw an amazing coat a friend of mine bought. It's sort of hot pink and furry, and it comes from Tralees Cooper. It looks it's like amazing. a bunny. Oh, it's incredible!
0: Who's the friend who
1: looks like a bunny? I'm not going to. She doesn't look like a bunny at all. She looks very smart in it. Tell your friends and family everyone to subscribe to our podcast. We'll be back next week with more. Don't shoot the messenger. In the meantime, send your feedback and tips and comments to the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram at Don't Shoot Pod. We want to crack the ton. We um, we also tweet. Just join at Don't Shoot Pod, and you can email us. Feedback at au, And don't forget to subscribe to the book pod. Yes. The latest episode, Corrie's interview with eminent book publisher Henry Rosenbloom, is out now. And buy tickets to our live podcast on April 30 via the links in our show notes or by Googling Miracle Mums Don't Shoot the Messenger. Corrie, oh, and oh, we also want to thank the Interchange Bench, of course. And Miss Jane for producing us. Oh, yes, it goes without saying. Oh, well, you um, didn't.
0: <laughs>
1: that's that's true. Thank you, Jane. Um, but just remember the Interchange Bench for all professional-level roles, all industries and sectors, both short and long-term. Corrie, what do we say?
0: Don't shoot the messenger, Caro. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is made possible by the Interchange Bench. The Interchange Bench provides first-class, temporary and contract talent, so when you need to get your team back in the game, call on the Interchange Bench. They provide temporary staffing, executive contracting, casual workforce management and volume recruitment from finance, events, communications, digital to offer support at all levels. Someone sick or resigned? Expanding the company. Just call one 800 i or see interchangebench.com.au for talents so good you'd wish you can keep them. Hi, this is Leanne Moriarty. Hi, I'm Anne Summers. I'm Jen Harper. Hello, this is Laura Tingle. Hi, I'm Marcus Suzak. I'm David Meyer. Join me on the book pod. I hope you can join Corey Perkin and I on the book pod. And I think also people often completely underestimate if something is easy to read, they think that means it's easy to write and it's absolutely not such a skill.
1: Always, no matter how
0: abstract the issue, you have to find the narrative and you have to find characters and around those, you build the story.
1: You know, some authors take a decade to write a book I would miss the meeting the readers.
0: Subscribe to the book pod. Subscribe to the book pod. In your
1: favourite podcast app. Wherever you listen to podcasts.